Auntie Rhoda Roberts is a veteran actor, artist and creative director whose early work broke down barriers in the Australian media landscape. She was a trailblazer for the industry, becoming the first Aboriginal presenter of a primetime current affairs show on the SBS program Vox Populi 31 years ago. In 1995, she founded the Festival of the Dreaming and has long advocated for the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander performers and artists. Among her many accolades in 2016, she was recognised in the Queen's Birthday Honours for her distinguished service to the performing arts. For the past nine years, Auntie Rhoda has played a major role in bringing contemporary Indigenous arts and culture to a global audience in her role as Head of Indigenous Programming at the Sydney Opera House. As she prepares to step down, her final two projects with the Opera House have just been announced and she joins me now to tell us all about it. Auntie Rhoda, welcome back to Speaking Out. Thank you for having me, Larissa. Wonderful to be on the program. We'll talk about your final two projects shortly, but it's a perfect time to take a look back at your career so far. What first drew you to the media sector? As in working at SBS and being the first Aboriginal to host a primetime current affairs program, which was pretty exciting back in the day. You know, one of the big things about that job was it made me realise the use of terminology and the power that it has. I remember once doing a piece to camera saying for non-Indigenous Australians and I received an enormous amount of letters with people disclaiming how dare I call them (laughs) non-Indigenous Australians. And I went, wow, there is power in the words you use. When you reflect back, what were the barriers facing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander creatives at this time? Look, I think there was a renaissance in the 70s and the early 80s, and we started to see a groundswell of work, which is not unfamiliar with the 90s and the 2000s. And the things always tend to go quiet for about a decade, and I don't know if that's because people are burnt out or that we just haven't been able to address systemic behaviours across the nation. But I think there is progress being made now. I think what occurred back in the 80s, particularly when we were looking at creatives, we were developing our own theatre companies. We were looking at, you know, Bamali, Bangara, all these companies were forming that were Aboriginal-led. And so there was a shift in the control and the power of product, that the authorship and control was from a First Nations lens. And we went on to see some great developments. I think the film industry, that has been a great catalyst to look at the model they used. A very slow, slow step of capacity building to the point where you get our producers, filmmakers, DOPs in the mainstream. And I think it's just been such a fantastic model, which I've tried to apply to a lot of the work I've done. But, you know, it always takes the team and it it always takes those ones who went before us. You know, I think of the work of Brian Siren and Justine Saunders and many of the playwrights of the time, particularly Ujuru Nunakul, and how generous they were with their knowledge, but also how open and flexible they were to passing on the mantle. One thing that does strike me in having watched you work over 
too many years that would be polite to mention for either of us, is that actually you do approach your work with whatever way you're accessing culture and the the people in the community who you're working with, with, I don't know the uh, a word for it other than love, that you actually really love the culture and you really love the people. And that seems to have been a really great driver for you. Yeah, it is love, isn't it? I mean, love and fulfilment that we are the only people in the world that have the oldest culture. So that's something that you do carry as a great trophy in a way, I guess. But I, I think it's also the biggest and hardest challenge working in the creative industries. And, and, you know, we are about storytelling, is getting the trust from community and getting that cultural knowledge where they trust you with their work that often has been plagiarised or, you know, it's ended up in areas that was not culturally appropriate. So that takes a lot of communication. And I think that's what it is. When you treat people with humanity and kindness. So I have a little thing next to my desk that says, you're lucky you have a job, be kind. So in those moments when I get really frustrated, it helps. But I just know allowing that time, and I have been blessed. I mean, I've worked with some of the greatest lawmen and women in this country who have given me their material that's of age-old stories, you know, artwork that's been told for eons and they're allowing me to put it into a new format, into new technology, and they're trusting that the story will still remain true to its origins. So for me, that's the greatest reward I get from the community and that we have that visibility. Is it possible for you to pick out a few career highlights in all that you've done so far? I think one of the greatest highlights was Lydia Miller and myself and the late Vivian Walker and the late Justine Saunders were running a theatre company called the Aboriginal National Theatre Trust in the 80s. And, you know, we were young and skinny and gorgeous and um, (laughs) we were getting a lot of roles. But all the roles were very much the cardboard cutout of what was imagined as a First Nations woman. And so we sat down going, I'm really tired. We wanted to show people that we could have an array of emotions when we were playing a character. So we decided to pool our money and look to commission a writer. And Lydia and I approached this from a very mercenary aspect, that the brief was we want to play about three sisters who return to their mother's funeral and they haven't seen each other for 10 years. Pretty simple. And we don't want the word Aboriginal mentioned once because we had this vision that if we wrote a play that was about three siblings and the challenges with their mother, that three Lebanese girls could play it or three Pacific Islanders could play it, et cetera, because funerals and family are the universal stories as such. And so we looked at a writer that was the flavour of the month at that time. It happened to be Louis Nara. Anyway, we um, commissioned him to write this play called Radiance and that, of course, went on to become a film as well, which was really exciting. And we've seen generation after generation perform that particular play. It was then we taught ourselves that to have the vibrant work and the work that was relevant, you actually had to develop it and integrate it into the mainstream because it just wasn't happening. And I see in that whole period of time now, 
filmmakers are now told, if you're going to write about an Aboriginal character, you need to have an Aboriginal consultant. You just can't write about an experience that you've never lived. And so we're seeing an adjustment with the lens. And so I think that's really exciting. And I think Radiance, in a way, was a bit of a catalyst to initiate those conversations of who could and couldn't write those stories and tell those stories. But again, it was a really collaborative approach and I do believe collaboration is a way forward because both sides can give what each has in the greatness of skills. Now, we've mentioned that you're stepping aside from your role as Head of Indigenous Programming at the Sydney Opera House and you've just unveiled your final works with them. What can you tell us? Well, we have a concert on April the 10th. It's a free event part of our music series, which was going to be in November, but because of COVID, we couldn't continue the dance rights project. So this we've moved to April. And I wanted to make a very clear presence of young artists that are so amazing and the dialogues they're having in this country, which I think is all about tomorrow. So we called it February, and that means tomorrow in the local Sydney language. It really was a very thoughtful collaboration of myself and working with our music program. And I wanted to show the next face of Australian musicians. This is the face of tomorrow. So it's a lineup of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists along with artists of colour who all live in Australia. Most of them collaborate together anyway. But an extraordinary lineup. So, you know, Ziggy Ramo, I think, is one of the most incredible young performers we have who's not afraid to speak the truth and most of the songs and the lineup they're all about truth telling there's young women from western sydney who are pacific islanders who've had to move because of climate water rising on their islands so their stories are pretty amazing that they are first peoples from elsewhere but living in australia artists like sparrow we have Milan Ring, we have JK47, Kobe D, C Breezy, Barker, all these young, amazing voices that a lot of people haven't heard. But what inspires me about them and what I'm thrilled about this concert lineup is they're using new technology, they're out there, but they are so steeped in their grandmother's stories and grandfather's, you know, and that says something to me that culture has had this shift where they proudly wear it on their sleeve and very proud of their heritage. And they are the new voice and we need to listen to them because they're making some amazing commentary, not only on the challenges they've faced as young people and the judiciary, but also on their space in society, their invisibility. And so this will switch people's thinking of what Aboriginal music is as well because it's so eclectic. I'm really excited. And what's the other event, if you can tell us about that? So, you know what? You asked me what one of the great events I'd done. Well, there's the song lines I curated for the Opera House sales in 2016. And that, of course, led us to the next rendition of projection because it's the art gallery of the future. And so on the eastern sales of the Sydney Opera House, 365 nights a year, we screen artists and their work that's animated and tells a story. So 
that commenced and I called it Bardu Gili and I've done two of those which have been highly successful, so successful that we now have a resident band and a pop-up bar each night there so that you can enjoy looking at the sails and, of course, that incredible destination of Jubagali and the home of Benelong. And this year, we're about to bring on the third rendition of Bardu Gili. And so we're working with the Art Gallery of New South Wales and invited a young curator, Kobe Edgar, from the Art Gallery to do her piece on the sails. And so that will be opening in April. So everyone keep an eye out for that. Well, you're going to leave quite a legacy, but I know you too well to know that you're not going to be sitting around doing nothing. What's next for you? Yes, I'm out there freelancing, so if anyone's got a job, you can (laughs) ring me. But I guess the next big one for me is, of course, Blues Fest coming up in Easter. We have a program called Boomerang within Blues Fest, and then we'll be looking at moving Boomerang as a standalone event in October each year, Boomerang Dreaming which gives us another platform for our artists. And I think that's really, really important, particularly now with COVID, our artists, this is their livelihood. So the, as much as we can do, fantastic. And of course, April sees me in Alice Springs for Parchma, which is a light festival. I think it's the only Aboriginal light festival of its kind. And we get to work with Central and Western Desert communities on their art and turning them into big installations. So the program has music program, a talks program, workshop program, a food program, and of course it's a free event in the heart of Alice Springs, au. Well, thank you so much for being with us on Speaking Out this evening and giving us a chance to celebrate the great legacy you've been creating. And I hope you'll keep dropping in as you continue with your adventures so we can keep up to date with what you're doing. Oh, Larissa, that would be so wonderful. And thank you, and thank you to all your listeners. That's Arnie Rhoda-Roberts, who is the outgoing Head of Indigenous Programming at the Sydney Opera House.